Hey, this is in your best interest. I'm Philip Müller. Today, I'm joined by Freddie Lim. He's a co-founder and CIO of StashAway. We discuss the importance of investing in our daily life, why relying on just saving money may not be sufficient to achieve financial freedom, and the steps you can take to prepare yourself for a successful investing journey. I hope you enjoy it. And if you do, be sure to subscribe and consider leaving us a review and sharing it with your friends. Welcome to another episode of In Your Best Interest. Every two weeks, we bring you new topics covering personal finance, investing, and entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Philip Müller, and today we will be chatting about a topic that has been requested by a lot of our listeners, and we're grateful for your feedback. Uh, it's about the importance uh, of investing in our daily life. So everyone knows that saving on a regular basis is important and being located uh, now for the last three years in Singapore and two years before that in uh, India, um, the savings rate uh, in this part of the world uh, really surprised me. It tends to be very high compared to countries like the US where I used to live before. Um, so the act of saving money actually is less of a problem here, which is a great place to start from, right? Or a great place to be in. However, Uh, what is striking to me is that people tend to not necessarily invest their savings. Instead, they keep them in very uh, you know, low-interest checking accounts or you know, savings accounts and things like that. So the problem there is that inflation, and some, a topic I want to discuss today as well, really slowly starts into eating into your savings, right? And it's a very like a, a dangerous enemy that every one of us has. So today, I actually invited a guest that has been on our show before. And it's, he's a real expert when it comes to investing. So uh, I'm glad to have him back. His name is Freddie Lim. And most of you know him as a CIO and co-founder of Stashway. Hey, Freddie, it's nice to have you back on the show. Hey, Philip. Um, thanks for inviting me back. And uh, you've been very kind to, tell, to, to ask me, uh, to, to saying that I'm an investment expert. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank I, you very I much. I think you are. I think you are. And I think uh, a lot of the listeners would agree. Uh, so when I sp <laughs> speak to people, they always mention, uh, mention your name. So, uh, so for listeners who would like to learn more about Freddie's background, uh, I, I encourage you all to check out um, the first episode of the In Your Best Interest podcast, uh, where he shared with us his upbringing, Uh, first job. Uh, also, he shared with us his, the best investment he's ever made. So if you want to learn more about that, uh, about Freddie's background, I encourage you to check out episode one. Um, we'll also be linking those in the show notes uh, um, of, the, of, of this episode. But Freddie, let's get right into the topic then, right, of the today's show. So the importance of best investing in our daily lives. I already touched a bit on, you know, saving versus investing. But uh, how about we dive a little bit deeper on that? What is your opinion on saving versus investment? And where do you draw the line, right? Like in which buckets do you put saving versus investing and the importance of either of them? Well, um, I think they, can, they cannot be separated in the sense that you've got to first have savings and then you, you are then you're able to invest those savings. Because otherwise, uh, doing any in, doing investing in any other way other than savings, that means you have borrowed money or you find other channels that that invested money that doesn't belong to you, right? Yeah. And so it, it really starts with saving first, 
Um, but I would say this, uh, just savings is not enough because it's like you're climbing a hill and you're just climbing it. You, you, you could have used a bicycle to cycle upward faster, right? And uh, you get a lot more help with, uh, in the forms of return along the way over time uh, that help you uh, save and make some return on it that gets you to your life goals faster, right? So that they do come together. No, that's a great point. Uh, if I drill a little bit more, you know, you said, you know, savings alone is not enough. Uh, I uh, wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, and, and, and I want to get more into, you know, the investing, why it's important. But um, from a savings standpoint, do you have a, a guideline that uh, that you use yourself when you first started out working uh, by to to say how much to save? Like, is there like a percentage that you always aimed for when you were younger or still do? Um, it really depends on the stage you are in. But I remember when I first came to the workforce, um, I do have a certain targets. Um, I, I was aiming to save uh, 25% of my monthly income after taxes. Um, to So I budgeted for taxes, right? You don't get tax yet. You, you, you sort of save extra knowing that you're going to get tax later, right? But what I'm saying is the excess of, uh, above that I, I was targeting to save 25% a month um, as a young man. Um, but I never thought about investing those savings back, 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 back in those days. We, you know, it's not like it's easy, right? You know, online brokerage accounts were, were, were still very new yeah. back in the uh, year 2000. Um, so, but to, uh, today, uh, there's a lot you can do, right? And so, yes, 25% was my target. It was random, not really based on my 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 actual lifestyle um but that can change over time right as you you know as in your life you may get married you may have certain changes in your life style and needs uh or certain family members to support but the essential idea is to have your income right do you the, you spend part of the income don't spend more than your income and you just try your best to squeeze in some savings yeah. Right? So that was the basic idea, and it's very traditional. You're uh, it, just trying to use savings and time to, to get there. Yeah, no, agreed on that. And I think 25 is a, is a great number uh, to start with. Um, you know, I, I, I always aim to have at least, I'm, I'm trying to get closer to 35. But again, as you said, it, it's also very dependent on your life situation, right? And in some years, you might be, you know, be able to save more, you got a promotion. In some years, uh, you have a child being born, right? That will, you know, have an impact on your cash flow on a short term basis as well. So uh, appreciate you, you know, you sharing a, a little bit about your own um, experience there as well. So, you said savings alone is not enough. Um, let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, we kind of established, you know, here, especially in the Asia space, uh, Asian space, uh, people do save, tend to save quite a lot, right? But it's, uh, you know, stuck in low interest bearing accounts. I, I, I don't know how many uh, different uh, financial plans I have done now here. And I always see people with, quite the large amount of cash sitting in checking and savings accounts, right? Earning literally 0.0 something percent. Um, and it's after they did all the hard work of working, the hard work of saving, 
and then not able to deploy that money into uh, into more investments. What are some of the the enemies that people face when they just keep their money in cash? Yes, um, keeping it in cash in a bank certainly feels safe. And also, uh, why not? That's deposit insurance, right? Up to a certain amount. And however, the problem is um, we are then neglecting the fact that things get more expensive over time. Um, inflation is the ultimate uh, enemy for, uh, for someone who just purely saves. And the better the economy does, uh, at times, uh, you know, the higher the inflation goes. And that really erodes the person who just holds cash. Uh, so I would say the greatest enemy is inflation. And inflation for for people or listeners who've not had you know don't know too much about inflation, can, can you go a little bit deeper there to just explain people what inflation is? Because it's to me, it's also when I first uh, you know explain it to people, it's always it's like the um, the invisible enemy almost, right? Because <laughs> you can't really see it, you don't feel it on a day to day yes. basis. Well, you may not be aware of it because ten years ago you weren't here at this very place buying a chicken rice in Singapore, but you know that that price to, uh, back then and today is very different. It was, suppose it's $3 before, it's, it's $5 now, let's say, right? And, and that inflation creeps uh, uh, very slowly and is invisible uh, until it became noticeable, then it's too late. Uh, it, because then you realize, oh, now it's $5, but this is 10, 10 years later now. Realizing it now is, 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 is late, right? Yeah. So uh, inflation is invisible in many forms as well. Uh, you can see that, um, and I'm not talking about the government measure of CPI and, and all these consumer baskets. I'm actually talking about inflation outside consumption, right? I mean, you you buying a property and it could get more expensive with time or the jet asset prices going up is itself a problem, right? Because it means that your money over time Uh, is unable to buy as many units of the underlying assets, whether it's a property or a stocks or or a good company that's been growing for 10 years, right? So inflation, people tend to think about it as consumer price inflation, uh, what, what you consume, and they think about that. But actually, that is very, very low measure. It's, it's sort of biased downward. We know that in reality, there's a lot of invisible inflation going on elsewhere, that makes things really expensive for you in many, many mysterious ways, right? You may be saving up for buying a, a putting down payment for an apartment, um, but in three years' time, the apartment is going up uh, 20%, then what happens, right? Um, so we do need some growth assets as well just to stay online with other forms of inflation. And of course, uh, imported inflation is another one. Um, being in Singapore... Uh, we are a small open economy and we do import uh, food and uh, agricultural products and raw materials from other places, right? So um, there could be a lot of sources for how we can incur inflation, why things would dilute our purchasing power if we don't do something about it. Yeah, I think it's, it's a, again, and I thank you for this explanation, Freddie, because I think um, the... 
it's a very difficult concept to grasp. <laughs> I know it's always in the news, right? Uh, but on a, again, on a day-to-day basis, you don't notice. But I think always a good one for our listeners to try out. Talk to your grandparents or your parents. <laughs> and they will always have, uh, at least when I talk to my dad, he said, oh, <laughs> we used to get uh, this hamburger for uh, uh, 50 cents. And now it's uh, $2.50, right? Or something like this. They, they will... You know, if you talk to uh, some older people, I think it always gives you a very good um, uh, incline on, on, on what inflation actually does. And for the young, for the people who are, you know, going to college now or have recently gone to college, uh, college tuition is, you know, compared to some of the other inflation measures has been skyrocketing, right, over the last, you know, 30, 40 years. I think college education is a great example yeah. in the sense that... Um, you you may be in Singapore and you want to study somewhere in the U.S. and you find that the inflation is not from Singapore anymore. It's actually in U.S. education has gone up a lot. And if the U.S. dollar goes up further, that makes it even worse for you to afford it. So yeah. in a way, the only way you can handle that risk is to, you know, be able to think about investing and globally, right? Yes. Absolutely. And, and now, let's, if we may move away from inflation, let's look at the counterpart of inflation. And uh, I, I do want to, uh, the topic is investing, right? And with investing, you're trying to, you know, one of the things you're trying to achieve is beat inflation, right, Freddie? So on the opposite side of the coin, it's something called compound interest, right? And there's a, you know, it's called, uh, what, what did Albert Einstein call it? The eighth wonder of the world, I think, right? So. Um, can you maybe explain a little bit about, you know, now what does what compound interest, what does it mean to the people and how can they use that to their advantage? Right. Um, my favorite quote of my favorite person ever is, is that the Einstein, the physicist, not as an investor, um, say that the power of compounding is the eighth wonder in the world. Um, he's obviously referring to the expanding universe <laughs> Uh, because it does expand at a certain rate per unit of time, and given more and more time, the universe is getting further and further apart, right? So, yeah. so we this this is very scientific, but I I personally believe that it applies the same in investing, because um, if you are just focused on investing your savings, you you stick it there, you don't try to time the market, you just stay with your plans. I tend to see feedbacks from people who's done that, right? There are people who's older than us and. They spend three decades building up their portfolios. They they, they basically compound. Just with time, the, the, the diversified portfolio grows with the economies. Mind you, I'm talking about a diversified portfolio that's very broad-based, right? And it grows along with global trends, global growth. And with time, they compound, right? Um, now, the same can be said for fees, right? If you sort of, um, no, sorry, for fees or inflation, they are the same. Right? You invest in a high-fee product or you don't invest. You get eroded by inflation. Every year, if inflation is 2%, you get eroded 2% a year. Even though you think the company is safe in a savings account, right? That's the other thing. <laughs> That's right. The erosion also compounds with time, right? Because yep. every year, you're losing purchasing power a couple of percentage points. And then you, you're going to keep losing that, right? And I'm just doing a back-of-the-envelope math uh, here. Oh, if it's a... Tw- 2% inflation a year over 30 years, um, you will be uh, eroded by a whooping 45 percentage point per dollar. Uh, uh, let me try to get this right. 1.02 to the 
<laughs> to yeah. the power of thirty, right? It's uh, and then invert that. Um, yeah, a dollar is only worth fifty-five cents in thirty years, at a two percent inflation rate, which is not a lot. Do you think? No, and I think com- countries are aiming for right about that two two and a half percent, right? Yes. Yes. And and so I I would say um, compound interest. Um, actually, the second line of the quote from Einstein is that he who understands compound interest earns it. He who does not pays it. So in this case, the saver pays it through inflation eroding your your dollars, and the investor gains it through growth over time. Right. Yeah. No, I think it's a great quote. I like to use it in some of my seminars as well because it really, really hits home, right? If it's, you can make the argument for inflation. Uh, you can also make the argument against, uh, you know, high interest debt, right? Works yes. the same way. Um, but you, because you want to put yourself in a position where you start earning income, right? And, and that's where I wanted to go to actually next is you cannot earn income forever, right? So at some point you're getting older, you want, you know, you worked for, you know, 30, 40 years of your life. You have paid some into pensions in some countries where our listeners are, they might not have pensions available or at least not, you know, defined uh, uh, benefit plans. Right. So these people need to save, right. They need to put money away. And one way to do that is starting to invest. Right. And, this is where compound interest comes in again, right? Because you cannot work forever. At some point, you know, you're getting older. You you um you know you you can't take do the job that you used to anymore, or you you know you want to enjoy life a little bit more. How can investing here help you, Freddie? Well, um, look, um, it is true, and I personally uh, have been through that phase as you grow older and more senior in your uh, industry or position, um, with, there's an old saying that if you are not up, you're out. Mm. There's no such thing as I love my work. I, I want to be in this position, this exact position forever. You, if you are not up, you're out. And uh, the, the requirement for a senior person all the time gets bigger. Your leadership, uh, growing the business, making new initiatives. So it is difficult. What I'm trying to say is it is difficult to stay in your position, it gets harder and harder over time. And you may not be hireable, right? Even if you are very competent, just by the, the fact that you are more expensive and uh, as you are the more expensive part of the workforce, um, it makes it hard for you to be uh, hireable in the labor market, right? Yeah. Options are going to be more narrow. So you definitely need to have diversified sources of income. And there's many ways of doing it. And uh, in the past, people do it by directly investing in properties. Um, they, 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 they use the savings to pay for the mortgage. That's a form of investment. But today, the property cycle has really changed, right? It's not as high yielding as before in terms of rental yield. Uh, it, it does cost money to just buy property, right? Stamp duties and and they have a, instead of a down payment, right? Yeah, yeah, down payment. It, it, it's not an easy endeavor, but today we're very fortunate to be in a world where, in the case of property, you don't have a million dollars, you can still spend five hundred dollars and buy a unit in the, uh, a REITs ETF or even a REITs. Uh, it's very democratized now on the stock exchange. Even in Singapore, we this ample of a very solid 
uh, a REIT provider with, with a strong long-term track record, right? So there's no excuse not to invest. You can own a fraction of ownership of uh, a real estate investment trust where you gain exposure to, say, property, and it saves you the pain of uh, down payment and stamp duties and getting a bank loan, right? So it's, it's very democratic. It's super exciting. And this is as an example, right? Yeah. And it gets better now where you, uh, I mean, that's why Stashway exists. We, we are one of those who try to bring you the word, uh, global diversified investing, right? On our platform, you know, up to 38 asset classes with up to 40 plus thousand securities, right? That investors can curate from their portfolios. And uh, that means that uh, at a fraction of the cost before, it's just with a click of a button, people now can just invest any amount. Um, it's super exciting that people know that it's possible to gain financial independence by doing something about it, right? Absolutely. I think investing has been made much easier than before, uh, much more diversified, much more sophisticated, much lower fees. The barrier of entry is just uh, so much lower, right? Um, and I think uh, I, I wanted to get to that point actually um, very shortly. But uh, you you mentioned one interesting um, fact, and that is you want to have uh, you want people to have diversified income streams, right? Because I think in today's world, and I see it, you know, with my friends and you know family members, etc. The life cycle of people staying with one company is significantly reduced from 20 years ago right i remember still yeah you know the more uh you know my my, my dad's age uh like people in their early 60s in in germany most of them spent their entire career at you know one of the big large german conglomerates right and <laughs> yes. never no, but never left right they have their very good jobs you know they used to have pensions at those companies um, but nowadays, the, 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 the life cycle of companies also, you know, get it going in and out of the S&P 500 even, right, is significantly shorter. So companies, uh, you're getting disrupted more often or whole industries even, right? So having a diversified passive income stream outside of your day-to-day -day job, I feel is becoming so much more important. And, and you mentioned already that you know, real estate can be one of them, right? You might have your rental properties, or it's easier, uh, you know, to get into um, things such as um, uh, REITs or uh, diversified portfolios. And I think some of the other ones, and maybe you have some more, is too. It's like, hey, you know, a lot of people nowadays they have the energy, and the, you know, through the in use of the internet, a lot of people are setting up side hustles, so to speak, right? Um, to diversify, and I think that that's a very, very good start if you want to start creating, which is also an investment in itself, right? You're investing yes. in your future um, by creating these different streams to get to a point where you become more financially free, right? Yes. And um, the act of investing is everywhere, whether you are aware of not, right? Whether you're buying a property, a second home, right? Or whether you're doing a side business, it's all an act of investing. But the what I'm saying is that you don't have to today be the one to open a side coffee shop while having a day job or that. I mean, it's actually not an easy thing to run a business. But today it's very democratized that anyone now with any amount can have a super diversified portfolio that's very global. That's multi-asset, right? Um, I, I think that's one of the, the big, big thing today 
you can invest to maximize gains, and there's no minimum barriers. Yes, and um, you did make a good point that I wanted to actually get back to uh, before is that um, a lot of people when I speak to them at our, our you know and some of the seminars or you know just friends and family, um, they tend to say that they are overwhelmed by investing. So again yourself myself right we, we we've been dealing with investments for quite a few years now right and we're interested in it on top of that right and it's part of our job but um the research the sheer amount of choices available in the markets and not wanting to make mistakes with their savings right on top of working their daily job so what are some of the guidelines you can pass on to them because i feel this is exactly the disconnect right between People, they save, but they don't find the time. They don't have the resources. They, they don't trust, uh, you know, the sales guy. And that, that's, that's why they don't invest at all, which is a bigger mistake, right, as we know. And hopefully uh, our listeners have, have gathered today. Hmm. Well, I, um, I would step back and, and if I think about step one, it would be to go back to the, a piece of blank paper and, uh, sit down with your other half or, or get a friend or get a financial advisor, whoever that is, right? And sit down and look at your income and your expenditure and how much savings you have. And um, then start planning, right? The first step of that is like, do you have sufficient amount of cash to as a rainy day fund, right? In case uh, anything happens or you, you for some reason you're not working anymore, uh, you have uh, some buffer, I think that is number one. Anything above that buffer that you have planned for is uh, then becomes your investable savings. That's the part that you can start thinking about investment. And this is a very important part because the last thing you want is to invest the money that you actually need. And then the day-to-day -day movement in the market, right? It so happens today, uh, market is not doing very well. And you need your money and you're selling on the low. Hence, hurting yourself, right? Mm. The power of compounding takes time. It relies on the averages and to realize that you need to stay invested. So only invest the money that you can invest. So first have, I don't know, I would suggest 12 months of leaving expenses in cash, right? Start That's what, building what we have that. as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then anything else is easier to talk to because you're, you, you free yourself from this nervousness, right? You already have a one-year buffer, and you, when you invest it, those amount of birth that you are less likely to be very overreactive to near-term events, right? So that would yeah, be the first thing. No, for sure. And then let's say, let's say it's, you know, our users have done that. Um, they're now overwhelmed by the choice of investments, right? And yes, I, I think for, 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 for Singapore, you already made a good point, right? Like, you know, there's there's, there's people like us at Stashway who can who, who can help you weed through a lot of this and a lot of these problems. But for people that, that are listening that are not necessarily from Singapore, um, what do you suggest should be their first steps when they look at... Uh, at investments in general, like, you know, should they go and, uh, you know, right now uh, in 2020, uh, Tesla is the hot new thing that's being pushed, right? Um, or where is that something they should invest in? Or do you see, where should they start? Let's say they live in, you know, in a different country where Stashway, for I, example, is I, not existing. 
Actually, the answer is um, not about what is out there that you should invest in. Uh, it's not about what is the hottest thing to invest in, but it's about first, what is your risk level that is suitable for you? And you don't even know what you're going to invest in yet. But before you invest, this is the first question. What is the risk level for me? And the way we think about it and the industry thinks about it is that in extreme event, if you lose X percent, right, in any given year, if you're fine with it, that's your risk level. So, for example, in the extreme event, something happened like this year during COVID-19, right? Let's say uh, you lose 20% of your, uh, on your portfolio. Is that a number that would irk you so much that you would overreact? Meditate on that, right? I mean, have a good thing about it. And if you're okay with 20%, then that is the risk level you're comfortable with. But if you're more conservative and 6.5% is more reasonable for you, right? Um, then that then you belong to a lower risk profile. And then there are people who just invest 100% of the net worth in Bitcoin and they belong to the category of 80 Eighty percent, right? In the extreme, in the extremity, their risk is really eighty percent, and they're okay with it. So everybody has a different number, but you got to pin down that number for yourself. What is that risk level first before you invest? No, great advice. Uh, I think because most people look at look at return first, right? <laughs> They said, <laughs> "Hey, I I want to get twenty percent a year, um, and 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 then pick the investments from there, and then looking backwards, right, at what has done well." And, and what has not done well. Um, no, I think this is great. Uh, Freddie, to, before we wrap it up, and I, I, I truly uh, am thankful that uh, you came on and explained a lot of these concepts and why it's important. Um, are there any, uh, I don't know, podcasts or books that uh, you may uh, have that our listeners would be, uh, like have some something to learn from in this kind of topic that we talked about today? Um, yes, there's a couple of pretty good books. Um, um, some belong to the classics. So let me try to remember it. I think the, the book Money by Anthony Robbins. Yes, I was um, going to mention a, that. <laughs> yes, it's a very good one, but it's, very, it's a big, big book. So uh, you can select the chapters and you can take it in stages. But the easier one to digest is the one that predates this one, I think, uh, by Robert Kiyosaki. Yep. Uh, rich dad, poor dad. If you want to go even more ancient times, uh, the, the richest man in Babylon is, they're all similar concepts. It's just different way of describing the same principles. Um, these three books would be the same and you can just pick one for financial planning. I think planning is half the battle before you invest. Yep, absolutely agree. And I think all three books, I've read all three of them. I read them all well. Uh, just getting out of college, you know, starting to save, uh, and they've been godsend. So any listener, I, I, I suggest you pick one of the three up. I agree with Freddie. Um, they are great books. They are written in very plain English, uh, very easy to understand, um, and they really also, you know, underscore um, all the points we've made today. So again, Freddie, um, thank you very much for being on the show again. Uh, we always appreciate you here <laughs> um, yeah, i can tell it from myself and the listeners um and of course i i'm sure we'll we'll have you on again in the future otherwise freddie have a great day okay well thanks i look forward to our next uh, conversation 
Thank you. <laughs> That's it for the show this week. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe and leave us a review. The reviews really help us and we love reading your comments as well. In Your Best Interest is hosted by me, Philip Müller, we're produced by Stashaway and we're mixed by Mo Ramley.